Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. I enjoy music, which I imagine most of you do. But there's something about music in church, what we would call the, the worship through singing or song, that's more than just the playing of songs. And if you've been here for any length of time, You've heard me speak about the power of music, but the power of worship, especially in the setting of the church where we all come together. Someone said this morning on the way out, um, you know, when people come come up to me and say, your message this morning was powerful, I say, I know. (laughs) Mainly because I trust that it's God's words that are impacting you, not mine. And that's my prayer each week. But one of our members says, wow, the presence of the Lord, I could just feel it. You ever heard somebody say that? And perhaps you felt it yourself, or perhaps you've heard someone say something similar to that and just thought, what are they feeling? Was that grape juice in the little cup a little fermented maybe? (laughs) Maybe it's sitting around a little too long. But what does it mean to feel the presence of God? Physically experience something that maybe you can't explain. Maybe you could explain it as the music was so good and it connected with my emotions that that my whole body then experienced it. Perhaps you could simply resign it to that, but maybe there's more to it than that. What about the times you experience the the presence of God in a way that's outside of the corporate setting on your own, in your own quiet time, perhaps reading scripture in a conversation? Or when people say, maybe you've heard things like this, when people say, well, I heard God say, or God told me. What are people saying? They're saying that there's a, an avenue by which God communicates and leads and guides our life that we can experience him not just on a mental level or emotional level or a spiritual level, which can sometimes get mystical, but there is a physical way sometimes to experience the almighty creator God. So the question this morning isn't just what is the Holy Spirit of God, but maybe who is the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is, is a person. And I want to continue, or I have this conversation because I want to continue the story crasher thought because today we're going to close that down. I mean, we'll still preach from the Bible and stuff. It's just, that's the end of our series. But we started with this story back in December bringing us to Easter when we changed it to the story crasher, that moment that, that all of time and history converged on this moment. Jesus comes, he, he lives a perfect, sinless life, he, he dies, and he is resurrected. He crashes the story. We've talked about how Jesus has come into people's lives, he's crashed their story at that moment when they're the most desperate, when their story has crashed all around them and he enters into that moment and perhaps that's the moment that he could the most really enter into that moment, really crash the story. Darcy shared with us just a couple weeks ago 
the painful experience that we had in losing our son and how as life crashed down around us, Jesus in that moment crashed into the pain and the darkness and he brought light, he brought hope, he brought healing. And this morning I want to take a look at a couple stories that Jesus is telling his disciples he's leaving. And we talked about that last week. I encourage you to listen to the podcast. He talks about he's leaving, but he's coming back. He will return again. But in this sort of preparatory talk with his disciples, he's telling them, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send another to help you. Okay. And he he carries this dialogue throughout the Gospels, preparing them for his departure. The second story, or the first story is the Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist. That's the first time we kind of see God crashed the story with the Holy Spirit. And then the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But let's back up a little bit in the story, the story crasher. Throughout this series, we've talked about the purpose of God throughout all of time, throughout all of history, was to redeem for himself a people that would be his very own. He would not share us. We've seen how Jesus crashed the stories of people in their most desperate times. Perhaps you've had an experience like that. An experience where you, you just say, I know God came into that moment. I felt him. I, something happened. Perhaps even some of you, it was at the moment of committing your life to Christ, that moment of what we would say getting saved, salvation, being born again, all those sort of church words that converge on that moment that you decided to follow Christ with your life. We, we use the phrases in church, you invite Jesus into your heart. I like seeing kids react to that statement. Have you invited Jesus into your heart? How do I do that? Because Jesus is a physical form of God. How in the world does he enter into your heart? Kids are very good at literal stuff, right? Most of you are like, well, that's simple. I get that. You, you get it because you're old, Kids think in concrete forms. If Jesus comes into your heart, does he come through the aorta? Or what? Right? I mean, what do we mean by that? Because Jesus is a physical being. He came to earth, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered, died, rose again in bodily form, ascended to heaven, the end of Luke, beginning of Acts. You'll read of his ascension. And one day we'll be able to see and touch him and know him in a very physical form. So what are we saying about Jesus when he comes into our life? Who is this person that we are inviting in? I think Jesus sets it up when he's about to depart in John chapter 14. He's warning his disciples, hey, look, I've got to go away. John chapter 14, starting in verse 15, if you open your Bible or you want to turn on your Bible, Dial in the version app, and we have our notes on there as well. He says this, starting in verse 15 of chapter 14 in John. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. What he's saying is one just like me will come. Another. It really is a speaking of similar, of, of one kind, to help you and be with you forever. 17, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives 
with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Is Jesus talking in circles? I am leaving, but I'm coming. I'm leaving, but, and you won't see me, but then you will see me. Jesus, I can't take it anymore. Just tell me what you mean. (laughs) I like how Jesus sets this up just because prior to this is what we talked about last week when he's telling the disciples, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you. And then Thomas says, Lord, how are we going to know the way? Thomas, I am the way. I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he's setting this all up to prepare for his departure. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough, enough for us. And Jesus says, if you see me, you see the Father. And this is important because as he's talking here in John 14, he's giving us this thought that I think is important for us to understand the work of the Holy Spirit, which is the doctrine of the Trinity. Some of you immediately flash back to the Matrix. The Trinity is the doctrine that God exists in three persons. There is one and only one God, but that he exists in three separate and distinct persons. All of them eternal and holy. He exists in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. These three persons are completely equal, each fully possessing the divine nature or essence of the Godhead. Soak that in for a second. For many, this is a hard uh, doctrine to understand. How could God be three and one and one and three? How does that work? Growing up, I often heard metaphors to understand this, like take a, like a hard-boiled egg, right? You've got the shell. You've got the white stuff. Nobody knows what the white stuff's called. It's just the white stuff. Yeah, it's just the white stuff, right? Whatever she said. (laughs) And then there's the yellow part. Everybody knows what that's called. It's called the yolk. And yet each one of those parts is part of the egg. It's essential. It's the essence of the egg. Take it separately, you would still call that part the egg. Maybe a distinct part of it, but yet part of it. And brought together, they are unified in their essence of being an egg. I've heard it also compared to H2O, water, coming in three forms or functions. You've got liquid, you've got steam or gas, you've got ice, all essentially water, just in different forms and functions. And so it is with God, though he's much greater than a hard-boiled egg or water. And I don't know that we could fully define the mystery of God simply by comparing him to some thing that we can understand. But it's a good start. It's a good picture to get us on that journey to understand that the Holy Spirit is then a person. He has a personality. He's independent. He has a will. He has emotions. He's a a he, not an it. I've heard people refer to the Holy Spirit as it. It's, it's, not a, it's not the force from Star Wars, right? It's not an energy. 
He's not a ghost, although the King James Version says the Holy Ghost. And in my head, I hear my grandfather saying, the Holy Ghost. (laughs) I don't even know where that extra syllable comes from. It's the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan refers to the Holy Spirit as the forgotten God. God we know because he's sort of this all-encompassing being. And Jesus Christ we know as the physical form of God, fully God, fully man, and yet the Holy Spirit is, sure, he's, how how do we wrap our arms around that? But the three persons of the Trinity are known together in relationship, and isn't the world defined by relationship? And the Trinity provides for us a great example of unity in relationship. Isaiah 9, 6 gives us a glimpse of the Trinity as well. I think most of us would know this from Christmas time, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are names that are describing the Messiah, and yet in those names we're describing his personality as God the Father, Everlasting Father, Mighty God overall. There's this idea that they are all in one and yet all function in separate areas and yet all for one will unified. John 15 and John 16 give us some glimpses of this. When Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit, he refers to the Holy Spirit here as the counselor. When the counselor comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. In John 16, 7, but I tell you the truth, it is, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Even here, Jesus is naming the Holy Spirit, and yet the Holy Spirit is unnamed. For out, throughout Scripture, we see him as symbols in, in, the, in the dove, in wine, in water, in the breath. There's references throughout Scripture as the spirit of grace, the spirit of joy, spirit of truth, spirit of sonship, spirit of adoption. All these describing the same entity, yet he is unnamed. He's simply the Holy Spirit. Why is he unnamed? Because his role is to bring glory to the name of Christ. Let's talk about Jesus and his water baptism. This is where we see the story crasher sort of experience his own crash story. God comes crashing into the story of Jesus as John the Baptist is baptizing in the Jordan River. And just prior to this, John in, in Matthew chapter 3 verse 11 says, I baptize you in water, but there is one who's coming who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. And just a couple verses later in Matthew 3, in 14, 15, and 16, Jesus comes to John to be water baptized, to, be, to humble himself. And in this moment, Jesus humbling himself to John the Baptist to be baptized, as he's coming up out of the water, there's this voice that speaks aloud to everyone who hears. It's recorded in all Gospels. That this voice says, this is my son whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. In my head, obviously, it's, this is my son. You know, there's that thundering 
Charlton Heston voice, you know. This is my son whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And all four gospels record this. And there's a dove that descends on Jesus, it says. I don't actually don't even know what a dove sounds like, but that's There's this moment that people physically see something happen. They hear something happen. They experience it. And in this moment, we see that the Holy Spirit is empowering Jesus. Now, was Jesus empowered prior to this? Probably. But it's in this moment and and following this moment that we see him live an empowered life, led into the desert by the Holy Spirit to be tempted. And then his ministry begins with manifestations of power, of miracles. Even the people who've known Jesus, who he's grown up around these people, they say, who, is this the same kid? Is that, because he's teaching with authority that he, we haven't known before and he's, he's performing miracles and has power that we, we've not seen. It's in this moment that we see the Holy Spirit in, in his fullness coming through Jesus. But if you're like me, you kind of wrongfully assume that Jesus operated and performed his ministry in his divine power. I mean, he is the son of God after all. But if you read through Philippians chapter two, Paul writing to the church in Philippi says, here's the example that Jesus Christ set for us. That Jesus being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something that he could hold on to, that he could grasp on and use for his own purposes. But he, made him, he humbled himself. The, the term is emptied himself of all of that, making himself a servant, coming in human likeness. It's in this scripture that we understand that Jesus did not like use the back door to Narnia, so to speak, as you know, just tapping into his divinity while being human. He didn't cheat. He may have had a cheat code. For some of you who understand video games, circa 1990, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, A, B, A, B, select, start. (laughs) It was the cheat code for every Activision game that Nintendo made. Jesus empties himself of his divine power to become totally dependent on God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see it in the moment of his baptism that he is empowered by the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then begins to operate out of not his own power, but the power given to him by the Holy Spirit. He voluntarily and purposefully limited himself of his divine and the use of his divine attributes. Although he did not stop being God, he did not tap in to his divine nature, but depended upon the Holy Spirit. And that's what we see at the baptism. We see this dynamic change. So what does that mean for believers today? What is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church. Well, in our last few minutes together, I want to just outline a few things that we'll sort of discover and look at throughout 
this summer. I hope you'll join us each week through the summer. Don't go on vacation. But here are some things you can write down. They're, they're on our YouVersion app as well. I said it earlier, the number one role and work of the Holy Spirit is simply to glorify Christ. In and through the lives of believers, his job is to glorify Christ and the name of Christ. Ask yourself that when deciding and making decisions. If the Holy, and you're asking, is the Holy Spirit leading me to this? Does it glorify Christ? Christ's job is also to draw people to Christ. This is the active work of the Holy Spirit of God working through the hearts of unbelievers. Those who have yet to make a decision for Christ, the Holy Spirit is actively working with them, on them, drawing them, wooing them to Christ. That's important to know, that the Holy Spirit of God is at work on people who have yet to make a decision. This is why prayers are so important too. And we're praying for those unbelievers that we know in our life, people who've yet to make a decision for Christ. The Holy Spirit is working on them, drawing them to Christ. And then his next job is to convict of sin, convict us of our sin. That word conviction is, is literally to make aware of and bring repentance to make us aware of our sin, to make the unbeliever aware of their desperate need for God in their sinful state, and us as believers, our desperate need of God, even in our saved state. It's that voice, it's that feeling, if you will, that when you're doing something perhaps you know you shouldn't be doing or perhaps sometimes you're not even aware of that the Holy Spirit says, check yourself you know what I'm talking about. That moment that the Holy Spirit says, no. It's to convict us of our sin. And in repentance, the job of the Holy Spirit is then to make us spiritually alive, to regenerate us, to bring us back from the dead, to make us alive in Christ. When we invite Christ into our life, we're inviting the same Holy Spirit that lived in Christ and raised him from the dead. We're inviting the Holy Spirit of Christ into our lives and that's who lives in us is the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of Christ. And in that, the Holy Spirit then dwells with and in the believer. We read some of those scriptures that talk about it. It's the Holy Spirit in you. He brings peace and joy, and assurance of salvation. He brings a fellowship, a relationship with God that you can oftentimes feel. Not all the time. For surely there are times that I've said, man, I just don't feel God. But there are times where I feel God. How does that work? It's the mystery of the Holy Spirit. The role of the Holy Spirit to empower the believer in, in our weakness. It's that moment that the Holy Spirit gives us strength in what we cannot do on our own. Romans 8, 11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as he raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal body by his, by this same Spirit living within you. That's a powerful scripture. The same power that raised Christ from dead lives in you. I just want to get through Monday morning, <laughs> right? You ever feel that way? 
And if I could just, what is that <laughs> obstacle? What is that thing that drains you of all energy? I'll come back to that in a second. The role of the Holy Spirit to bring us back from the dead is to bring us into holiness. 1 Corinthians 6.19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. The Holy Spirit's job is to help you in holiness, this separation from everything else that would dethrone God. And the Holy Spirit comes in and says, that thing in your life, it's taking the place of God. It has become your God. And in that, the Holy Spirit brings us back to putting Christ first and only in our lives. It's to bring us holiness. And then the fruit of the Spirit that comes from the act of living in holiness, living by the Spirit. You know, when a tree is alive, you can tell because it's bearing fruit. The fruit is the evidence of life and health in the tree. And the same, it, 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 the same is with believers. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 describe that the life of the Spirit living, in, living within you comes out of you, demonstrated through the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. Many of you, even in this moment as I'm saying those words, are thinking, man, I could really use some of that. It comes by letting the power of the Holy Spirit dwell within you and following his leading. His role is to guide, to direct, to remind, to teach, to anoint, to help us pray when we don't know how to pray and to worship. Band, if you'd come as we close this morning. I guess the question for us is, is it in you? I know I stole that from Gatorade. (laughs) Is it in you? I know they were trying to sell a product, convinced that if their product is in you, you're going to perform better. It doesn't make you taller, though, so just word of warning. The question is, is the Holy Spirit in you? If you're a believer, if you're somebody who's committed your life to following Christ, yes, the Holy Spirit's in you. You can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit being in you. It's impossible. That's what dwells in you. That's who dwells in you is the Holy Spirit of Christ that dwells in you. So yes, as a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. But what if there's more? I mentioned earlier, sometimes I I encounter Christians who their goal is to survive. They just want to make it through this obstacle, this thing that they're going through and survive Monday. Or if you have tomorrow off, it's Tuesday. (laughs) And I I don't think that's the way Christian lives were meant to be lived. Christ followers were not meant to be simply survivors. Romans 8 says we're overcomers, not survivors. And I've met believers who are lonely. They feel powerless and defeated. They, They say, this is it. This is as good as it gets. And you were never meant to walk alone. The Spirit of Christ was always meant to be with you. And for Christians to look at the life of a Christ follower as, well, I'm just trying to live up to the rules. I'm just trying to live up to the expectations of Christendom. 
that's not it. The Holy Spirit of Christ comes to make you holy, not so you can live up to rules, but so that you can make an impact in the mission of God. It's not just about overcoming sin. With the Holy Spirit in you, you don't have to sin. Say what? You don't have to sin. You don't have to be a slave to sin any longer, the scriptures tell us. You can live supernaturally. You can understand scripture in a way that you've never understood it before. That was Christ's prayer for his disciples in Luke chapter 24, verse 44. As he's closing out his time with them, he says, it says that he opens up their minds so they could understand scripture. Did you, have you read that? That's crazy. And then he tells him, I'm leaving, but the Holy Spirit will come to you, but wait in Jerusalem. He's promising them some power from on high. Acts 1, Luke and Acts are like part one of the movie and part two of the movie, except in this, the sequel is actually good. Luke, Acts, combine them together, read it straight through. Acts 1 sort of recaps the end of Luke and Jesus saying, wait in Jerusalem, I got something for you that you're going to need to accomplish the mission I've given to you. So Acts 1 lays this out and he says, wait in Jerusalem because you will receive power from on high and when and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You will be clothed, literally surrounded by this power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will do greater things. You will perform supernatural acts. You've heard me say before, I don't want to live naturally. I want to live supernaturally. How do you do that? It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not by saying, I got to live up to the Christian expectations. I just have to make it through Monday. How many of you have ever said to yourself, that person has, that Christian has it all together? They, re- they really figured it out. And perhaps they have. Perhaps they just fake it better. I don't know. But I think when you live by the power of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to dive into throughout the summer, you will understand what it means to have the power of Christ living in you. So I say let the Holy Spirit crash our story as he did in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, 10 days after Jesus has left, they're all waiting. I mean, that's what he told them to do, right? They didn't know what they're waiting for. They're just waiting. Day of Pentecost, the Jewish festival comes and they're there in this room. And it says, the Holy Spirit crashes the story with a sound of a mighty rushing wind and what seems to be flames, a fire come rest upon them and they begin to speak in languages they, didn't, they hadn't previously learned and didn't know. And all the people of the nations who had come to Jerusalem at that point understood the gospel being proclaimed in their own languages. And Peter, who is this guy who kept putting his foot in the mouth, stands and delivers this gospel message. And you know what he doesn't do? Stick his foot in his mouth. Amen. Lord, may it be so. (laughs) But this is the power of the Holy Spirit when he comes on a believer, not just for those few, but for all who would believe. A dramatic change from survival to overcoming. That's the message. You can live an unstoppable life in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit of God in you. Would you stand with me this morning, church? You know, the work and the mission of Christ continues through believers empowered by the same Spirit that lived in Christ and brought Him back from the dead.
So three things I want you to do this week and throughout the summer. I want you to wait and investigate. Wait and investigate. That was the command of Christ to his followers. Wait and investigate. This act of seeking, it wasn't a passive waiting where you twiddled your thumbs and watched the latest on Netflix. It was an investigation. It was a seeking of that which Jesus had promised. Can I tell you, if you begin now, tonight, this week, throughout the summer, to say, Lord, I'm waiting on all that you have for me. If there's more and your scripture is true, then I want that. Wait and investigate. I'll tell you, a group of students got together and did that. In fact, they do that every year at a, a thing we call Alive. And I can recall one such situation where we simply said, God, we're going to wait on you. Whatever you want to do, you do. And in that moment, some of our students were there. And we experienced something that we, we couldn't explain, but nobody could talk us out of it because we experienced something that moment. And so it can be with you. Second thing, obey. What is that step for you? Perhaps it's being water baptized this Sunday, this next Sunday as a declaration of your faith. Maybe it's to step up to giving. What is it that you need to obey Christ in? That's your next step. And finally, ask and receive. Just simply saying, God, whatever it is for, in my life, I want to follow you. And you might receive something you weren't expecting, a direction you weren't expecting to go. But would you be open to that? Simply willing to go where the Holy Spirit of God leads you. I want to bless you as we take this journey together throughout the summer, starting today. Father, bless your people. Because we know you're true to your promises, we don't have to have any expectations other than that you will come through. In unexpected ways, but for surely, according to Scripture, you will bless those who ask. And so this morning we ask, I ask, Lord, that you come in a new and fresh way. For those who maybe have experienced you before, you would come with a new fire, a new passion. For those who've never experienced, Father, you would show yourself true in every way that you have promised. With power from on high. Bless your people as we go from this place and remind us that your power came with a purpose to reach those who are lost and far from you. And that's the only reason. It's in the name of Christ that I pray. Amen. Hey, we are so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information about a deeper relationship with Christ, we would love to hear from you. Simply email nextsteps at c2church.com. 